Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. And that's exactly what's at risk in this season, in this church, in every Christian church, in the Christian voice at large. I'm glad you're joining us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and a part of our tribe, I'm glad you're joining us. If you're looking into, what would it mean to follow Jesus? If that's you, you're listening in to a, to a family discussion this morning. We're in a season in the world where everyone has strong but differing opinions and convictions about many important things going on in the world. And today, in Romans chapter 14, if you haven't opened your Bible there, you can. We're going to get God's language, his categories, and his priorities. For those of us who are Christians and have strong convictions over non-essential theological, cultural, political, and ethical matters. And the question is how, in the, in the, the words of that song by the Waylon Jennies, which is super cool, by the way, thank you, they did a beautiful job. In the language of that song, how do we live as Christians with one voice in harmony, pointing clearly to Jesus as the hope of the world, Jesus as my only hope, when we disagree on some really important matters? Uh, Let's start with some of them, some big ones, like things like these. I'm going to put a couple of big issues going on today in the world on screen. And, And here live in the room, out in the pergola, I enjoyed singing the first songs with you guys out there live. And those of you, you may have a home worship party gathering, or you may be with people in your home, whatever. I want you to say aloud, when I bring this up on screen, I want you to say good or bad, okay? Like if you agree or disagree, but let's just say good or bad, okay? You ready? So here's the first one. Bad. Okay, I think we all agree Darth Vader is bad. Okay, this next one gets really serious. Next one. Urkel's good. We need some Urkel right now. I'm going to go home and and binge watch some Urkel. Okay, next one. This one might be tougher. (laughs) Dr. Evil. So far, we're all in harmony. We're singing in harmony. Okay, this next one is going to create some division, I promise you. (laughs) Okay, you got to choose, good or bad. Nickelback, the band Americans love to hate. <laughs> Come on, man. That was a good song. Look at that phone. Griff. Okay. Now, this next one, seriously. Okay, this is going to test you and you. This is going to test all my friends. You ready? Go. I'm like, like, how am I supposed to even handle that picture? I love, I love my quarterback. He's my QB, but he's went over to the evil side. I don't even, I can't answer that one, okay? Okay, but, okay, this one is a good one. Go. Snape. Oh, no, did you not watch the last Harry Potter? He's, it turned out he was good all along. He's the, the ultimate conundrum. Okay, and here's the last one. This is just bonus for everybody, just to hook you up. <laughs> Baby Yoda is all good. Baby Yoda is coming back and is going to redeem at least the last month of 2020. All right, turn in your Bible seriously to Romans chapter 14. <laughs> That's funny. 
Romans 14 is an extended discussion, and it continues in the first half of chapter 15 about how to get along with people in the church who disagree with you on something you feel passionate about. And Paul is going to say to the early church Christians in Rome who had a lot to disagree about, and he's going to say to us, unity matters over division. Or to say it another way, I was first attracted to our denomination because of its motto. I had never been a part of a denomination before. Here's our motto. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And that is also a motto for our church. It's a concise summary of what Paul is going to teach us here in Romans 14 about how to handle it when you disagree with people in your community group, (laughs) in your oasis group, on your ministry team, with somebody on your church staff that you interact with on things that you find important. And I'm going to be very specific about some issues today because the Apostle Paul was super specific. He went there with issues in their day. Romans 14.1, here we go. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Would you repeat those last two words with me? Disputable matters. Paul just says it right here. That's what this is about. I'm teaching you how to handle disputable matters. Uh, Eugene Peterson in his translation called The Message says it this way. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And so Paul is acknowledging that there are things that we will disagree about in church that should not lead to division. In fact, we're to accept one another without quarreling or jumping all over fellow believers. Now, he's not saying there's never anything the church shouldn't divide over. In fact, a theologian named Michael Byrd uh, has a, it's kind of a helpful uh, uh, laying out of three levels of importance of issues in the church that might be helpful. Three levels of issues as a church. Number one, there are issues that are essential for salvation, like the person of Jesus Christ. He is God and man. And friends, if you're listening here, if you're worshiping with us today, I want you to know that Jesus is God with skin on. God come for you. God to reconcile you into a relationship with the living God. You can live in harmony with God now and forever. Trust Jesus. Second level of issues in the church is issues that are important to the faith but not essential for salvation, like the infallibility of Scripture or sexual ethics, for example. The third level of issues in the church are the issues that Paul's talking about in Romans 14, disputable matters, matters of opinion or preference. Now, when it comes to this level three, you and I are supposed to use biblical principles to develop wisdom to know what to do in new situations and to form our convictions on matters that are not essential to the faith or stated clearly as black and white in Scripture. We're to use biblical principles and our conscience in the Holy Spirit to make up our minds on these things. But we should always show restraint in equating my wisdom, my application of a principle of God's Word with God's actual word. Because unless you and I can give something, a chapter and a verse reference, we, 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 I should never give my perspective in the application of God's word equal authority with God's word. Spiritual maturity is not just developing strong convictions. It's learning to show restraint in the weight you give to your convictions that are not direct in Scripture. And so now Paul, said, he says the principle, accept the people other people and don't quarrel with them on disputable matters when you disagree. And then now he addresses two contentious issues in the early Roman church. This is between the years 50 and 60 AD, just a decade and a half after Jesus' resurrection uh, uh, from the dead. 
Um, and so we're gonna, th- these are not going to be the same issues that are contentious here at Lake Forest Church, okay, or whatever church you're a part of. So we're going to use them as examples and glean wisdom for how to deal with the contentious issues among us this fall. First one is verse 2. Hey, one person's faith allows them to eat anything. I like that guy. But another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. Um, those are the skinny people in the room today. Uh, This is not really about the healthy benefits of a carnivorous or a vegetarian diet. The city of Rome was a city filled with temples, and almost everyone in Rome was an idol worshiper. And most of the meat sold in markets had been presented to an idol for its blessing by the the meat person. And so some of the Roman Christians, particularly the ones from a Jewish background, felt like the fact that that meat had been offered to an idol permanently tainted it. And, and, and to accept that was to participate in idol worship. And so, plus a lot of that meat was pork anyway, which had been forbidden to Jews before the time of Jesus. And Jews looked down on that traditionally. So to avoid all this, many Jewish background Christians simply refused to buy meat in the market and they only ate veggies. They're like, isn't that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel did in the Old Testament? And God approved of them. We want to be like them. But other Christians in the Roman church said, no, 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 we know that idols aren't really gods. There's only one God. That's superstition. And his power would counteract any idol magic anyway. And and plus, Paul taught us in the book of Galatians that Jesus' death has cleansed everything. Everything is clean for those who are clean through Jesus. So I'll take a double Baconator, por favor, with extra ketchup. (laughs) That's issue number one, eating meat or not. Issue number two, verse five. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. There were Jewish Christians in this church who still thought that the Sabbath or our Saturday was the day they should worship on. That had been a big deal in Israel for 1,500 years. So why change it? Which the early Christians did. They changed it to Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. Furthermore, particularly, these Jewish Christians in particular thought that even though they were Christians, they should still observe the Jewish holidays. They're taught in the Old Testament. God had established them for Israel to remind them of various things throughout the year. For instance, I texted with a Jewish friend of mine yesterday uh, about the first high holy day of Rosh Hashanah. It was the day when you're supposed to blow the shofar, the big ram's horn. Uh, I found a, 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 a gift to send him that said, Show far, show good uh, of somebody, blow, <laughs> somebody blowing one. Um, so they understood that these Jewish holidays here in the early Roman church, that, that these holidays weren't necessary for salvation, but they thought observing them was a good practice because God established them. It's a good argument. Other Christians, particularly Gentile background believers, said, no, no, no. Those things are part of the old covenant, and the death of Jesus has released us from any of these special observances. Observe them if you want, but there's nothing inherently special about them. Now, here's something super important I want you to know about this passage. So far, this is kind of pedestrian. You're like, that's kind of quaint that they disagreed about those things. But it was a big deal. And I want you to notice Paul had an opinion. Paul had a conviction. Paul had a strong leaning in these things about which one was right. He was definitely on team meat eater. I'll jump ahead and show you. In verse 14, he says this. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself. Let's go to Lancaster's. Pony up. Get some of that vinegar. 
sauce from Eastern North Kakalaki. And Paul, now listen, Paul had an opinion because he calls in this chapter, you saw it in verse 1, those who didn't understand this, he calls them weak, quote unquote, in their understanding of the gospel. And he wants them to be strengthened in faith by becoming better informed by the gospel and how free they are in Christ from any restriction. So it's really important to see this. Paul is not saying, hey, everybody's right here. It's cool. Can't we all just get it? to each his own? Paul thinks the weak are wrong. The veggie and the holiday observant people, he thinks they're wrong. And that's so much of what makes this passage helpful for us today. Paul shows you and I what to do with people in the church who disagree with you on things you think are important. When you're really convinced they are wrong. Again, we're not talking about things directly addressed in Scripture, like somebody who says, I think there are multiple ways to God. Or, hey, I feel pretty good about living with my girlfriend, right? Or, I think looking at pornography is cool, right? We're not, that's not what Paul's talking about, things that are directly addressed in Scripture and are clear and are not a matter of opinion. We're talking about wisdom areas where Scripture is not clear. And he says in these areas, you, disputable matters, unity, would you say disputable matters again? Okay. Unity is more important than division in these matters. And you might be, hey, Mike, Pastor Mike, I mean, that's, that's, I hear you. I would never divide from a fellowship group or a church or, a, or my community group over disputable matters. Well, as I've mentioned before from this platform a couple of elections ago in the same week, First of all, I ran into a person uh, out somewhere, and they were like, Mike, I drove into the parking lot last Sunday morning, and I saw a car with an Obama sticker, and I kept right on driving. I'm never coming back to your church if you have political liberals up in there. See ya. Like, he said that to me. Later that week, I got an email. Pastor Mike, it was nice knowing you. This week, I discovered almost everyone in my community group is voting Republican, and there's no way I can study the Bible or worship with them at Lake Forest and not be aggravated and angry at them all the time. Who you vote for was a disputable matter then, and it is today. Applying biblical principles, priorities, and wisdom and good conscience in every race in which you vote. And Paul wrote this chapter of Romans precisely for those people before they did what they did, and for you and me today. Unity in essentials over division regarding non-essentials. And I could mention a lot of disputable matters that are hot among various Christians and churches. There's a lot of them, and they're pretty entertaining when you start thinking about them. Um, here's one that flared up in our church once in a while over the years. It's not a really big deal. It's a big deal in a lot of churches. Um, Pastor Joby Martin, he came and spoke here at a conference one time. He says, uh, he says this. I'm quoting him now. You get a homeschool Christian mama and a public school Christian mama together, and you ask, what's the best educational approach as a Christian? And then you just get some popcorn and sit back and prepare for a UFC bout. Again, these are his words, okay? So don't get mad at me. Get mad at him. Here's his words. He's like, homeschool mama be like, sure, you can send your kid to the place where they outlaw a prayer like in the times of Nebuchadnezzar and teach your kid he came from monkeys and he might get stabbed in the face by a gang member. That's fine, but we love our son and want him to develop a biblical worldview. So we homeschool. Clearly homeschooling is the godly choice or at least Christian school. Public school Christian mom be like, yeah, that's cool. We just want our th kids to have things like social skills. And we think it's cool that your Timmy can churn his own butter and make his own clothes, but we want our 
kids to Nan. We want our children to know things like math. <laughs> and we think our kids need to learn how to deal with the temptation of the world and not just run from it. Jesus promised he would protect us in the world but not uh, vacate us from it. Where's society going to be if we just leave it all? It, it, we can't be light, salt and light. And so keeping our kids in public school is an act of love for our child and our neighbor. <laughs> Did either one of those mess with you a little bit? <laughs> People have strong opinions. You know, like if you were like, well, that one's dumb. Well, that's the point. You're passionate about these things, some of you. Many of you are. I've had those discussions with some of you. And people in Paul's day were just as passionate about eating meat offered to idols and Jewish holy days. But that's not really the homeschooling example or something like that. It's not really what represents much danger this year to anyone worshiping with us at Lake Forest today in terms of Christian unity over division. Right now we have major important issues and crises in our world and our country over which in this congregation alone there are very differing strong opinions and convictions. What's the best way out of the pandemic? Is racism that, that people of color experience in our country currently systemic in our nation or not? And if so, to what degree? Is climate change, which is leading to worse forest fires in the west and slower, wetter hurricanes in the southeast, what is the human factor in that and what should we do about it? This weekend we have a new crisis over which we can disagree over and more worse, worry about. When should the new vacancy on the Supreme Court be filled, occasioned by the very sad death of the pioneering Justice Ginsburg? But here's the biggie. That could divide your community group. It might already have. Your harmony with various members of your Oasis group or others here in our church. Because see, this church, for 10 years, we've experienced uncommon unity. I'm proud of you for that. And I'm jealous for it as pastor. I don't want our flock harmed, I don't want it divided. And I'll whack a wolf upside the head with a shepherd's crook in a second if I see one coming in to sow disharmony. Because God told me I'm supposed to guard the flock as an elder of the church. So here's the biggie. How about this one? And again, I'm quoting that other pastor, so you can't get mad at me. Okay. Uh, some believers say a man like Donald Trump with such severe ethical and moral compromises and who says such derogatory name-calling things about others should never get a Christian's vote. I don't care what good you think he's done. He's encouraged division and bigotry in America. To use a biblical word, he's a whoremonger. He cheats on his wives in business, taxes, and now in politics. Christians supporting Trump is a compromise to our witness. It's damaging our witness for a generation, and that's worth more than any supposed political benefit. So, hashtag never Trump. I've heard versions of that over coffee with some of you. Another will say to me over coffee something like this. Well, I'm not a fan of all that he says and does, but I like him better than the alternative. The Democrat candidates are all pro-choice, and they violate my views on religious freedom and systemic racism. He's cooperated with the Senate to appoint a large number of judges I approve of. He's not a conventional politician and shakes things up. So even though I'm not a fan of his character or morality, I think the better choice is to vote for him. Hashtag all about the judges. I've had that conversation here multiple times as well. And choices, chances are, not chances are, statistics are, 
Most of you hearing my voice right now have a really strong opinion on that. So here are Paul's instructions. How do we handle this as a fellowship in which I know there are those two opinions? Some of them stated more firmly than those two I just quoted. How do we handle this? Here's Paul's instructions. Number one, stay true to your biblically induced, influenced conscience. You stay true to your conscience. Romans 14, 5 to 7. Each should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Whatever you do, whether it's the voting issue or it's all the other issues that I mentioned right now, do it as an offering unto God. Pray about it. Read your Bible. Consider. Listen to others. And do it according to your conscience as an act of worship unto giving thanks to God. So today's message is not telling you, hey, sit down and shut up about your opinion. <laughs> That's not okay. I'm not saying don't have convi strong convictions on disputable matters. Instead, Paul says, hey, follow your conscience in these matters before God. Can you listen to this music? Can you watch that TV show? Can you participate in whatever it is as an offering unto God? Be fully convinced that you can because here's the thing. If you feel like something is wrong and you do it anyway, Paul goes on later to say then it's wrong for you. It's actually sin for you. Look at verse 23, jumping ahead a little bit. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. See, even if, if it's not wrong in itself to eat something, but if you thought it was wrong but did it anyway, it's wrong to you. And this is telling us our conscience is a gift from God. Our conscience is a type of moral intuition where you know something before you even articulate it, kind of a sixth sense. And it's a gift of God. And it is always changing and reforming. And our conscience on disputable matters is generally more influenced by our family we grew up in, our background, and our culture than Scripture because these are not black and white scriptural matters. Therefore, we should be open to the reformation and the change of our conscience at times. But don't go against your conscience because if you numb your conscience, that's really dangerous. It's a key way the Holy Spirit speaks to you and me. Because if you or I get used to doing what my heart feels is wrong, we'll gradually tear our conscience apart until doing wrong doesn't even feel wrong anymore. And we never hear the Holy Spirit in that part of our life. So obey your conscience, but be open to it being retrained. Be humble to learn from one another. Are we humble enough to agree that on a disputable matter, maybe, maybe I don't always see it? the right way. See, some people have had a disagreement with somebody in your community group or your men's group and you never went back. How great of a church would this be if we were willing to listen to each other, even sometimes change our minds, but yet accept each other over disputable matters? Tell me why you find that so objectionable and not have it threaten the first two categories of my faith. Remember, essential for salvation not essential for salvation, but very clear in the Bible. What if I can fellowship with people who disagree on important disputable matters and not have it threaten the number categories one and two in my unity with that person and in that group? Could I be secure enough in my identity in Christ to do that?
So that's number one. Number two, spot, confess, cleanse your heart of contempt. Then reaccept the person or the category of persons. Verse three, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt. Will you say the word contempt? Contempt. The one who does not. And the one who does not must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Now, I'm just going to call something out here. When we get back to me on screen, because I need to look you in the eyeballs. I saw a ministry partner guilty of publicly treating someone with contempt in our church on Facebook two weeks ago. And in the spirit of being a church that speaks the truth and love, I'm just going to call out their name right, call out their name right now in front of God and everybody. Mike Moses. He did that. Mike Moses treated with contempt a ministry partner of a differing opinion. I broke my own rule for myself about not commenting on non-essential matters. I reacted to a headline. I didn't read the full substance, and I wrote words that showed contempt to a fellow Christian. The next day, I repented. I asked forgiveness, and the person graciously allowed me to make things right between us and erased it so I don't look like a butt in front of everybody on Facebook. Thank you for that. We're not going to always get it right the first time. But we are to be Romans 14 people who spot, confess, and cleanse our heart of contempt and then reaccept the person. You know what contempt feels like. You know right now. I want you to name right this second. You talk to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's talking to you. Who is it that you have contempt for? Who are you tempted? Even in our church body, you've been ghosting them online and you see some stuff. And you have some contempt for their opinions and their convictions on a disputable matter. Or a whole class of Christians, people. Who is it? Will you spot it, confess it, and cleanse it? Because Romans 14.3 says you must not treat with contempt the one of a differing view on a disputable matter. We need to be legalistic about this this fall. We don't need to be like half-hearted, oh, I'll try better. I'll do a little better. You need to be legalistic. <laughs> like if you reread, some of us need to read this verse every day until December, maybe longer. Uh, somebody posts the thing and, that you don't approve of and we're tempted to be like, they're, you know, they're just not very spiritual. They're not, you know, I know how to put my faith over my politics. I, my opinion is because my faith goes first. They are doing it for some other unspiritual, selfish reason. It's so easy for us to see ourselves as superior to others either because we do things they don't or because we do things they do, don't do things they do or opinions. And we see what we're going to look at next week in Romans 12. We end up seeing ourselves as better than our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and to act that out, what that looks like in action is contempt in our heart and it comes out in our words or our posts. Contempt is to assume the best motive for self and the worst motive for the other. Here's how it might sound like this fall. <laughs> if you vote Republican this year, you're a, you might as well be a card-carrying KKK member. <laughs> if you vote for a Democrat this year, you're a baby killer. I know there's children listening, but still. That's contempt. To say either of those statements is intellectually lazy, it's fear-mongering, and it's a failure to acknowledge nuance and freedom of conscience in a fallen world regarding disputable matters and the application of 
biblical principles in an uncertain time. How will we handle this? In this time when everyone's opinion is not just an opinion, it's stridently held. But yet we agree on Jesus as Lord and Savior. Should we split into two different churches? Let's just, I mean, this is kind of a pain, frankly. Let's just be LFC instead of Lake Forest, Huntersville, Davidson, Denver, and El Buen Samaritano. Let's start two new ones, LFC left and LFC right. (laughs) That's what most churches have done. You know I'm not lying. Segmented. That's not biblical. It's cultural. And the word judge here, krino, means to pronounce doom. But what does Paul say at the end here of verse 3? God has accepted the person. God has accepted them despite their mistakes, despite their opinions. So if God has accepted them, who am I to reject them and defellowship them from me? Like, do I realize how many times I've been wrong in my spiritual life? My convictions on many of these things have changed over time. And yet God accepted me then and he accepts me now. Who am I to reject someone else? The good news of the gospel is that God accepts us despite our mistakes, our sins, and that should influence how we accept one another. How can, Paul's saying, how can you not fellowship with someone that God is in fellowship with? Are you saying your fellowship is more selective than God's? And in fact, by not welcoming someone of a differing opinion in a disputable matter, by not welcoming them, you're implying God's acceptance of them is misguided. But in the next chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul makes this clear once more. Chapter 15, verse 7. Would you read this aloud with me at home and here? Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Jesus accepts the teetotaling, Sabbatarian, vegan Jews and the bourbon-sipping, Saturday-shopping, bacon-rind-munching Gentile Christians. And if God has justified them, they cannot condemn each other. If God has raised them up, they cannot put each other down. If they belong to the Lord, they belong to each other. If everyone who calls him Lord, then we must call each other brothers and sisters, including our differences on disputable matters. This glorifies God. You know what dishonors God and defames God to the watching world is when Christians separate over disputable matters. It de-glorifies God when we separate over disputable matters with contempt dripping publicly. And that happens all too often. We're not going to do that here. We're just not. The word, when I was a teenager, the big issue was, is rock and roll from the devil or not? And I got influenced both ways. At one point, I went out in the backyard and broke all of my rock and roll records, including Barry Manilow. That's just funny. <laughs> was, was the devil in, that, in rock and roll? I don't know about that, but the devil was sure creating disharmony and disunity and discredit to the church and the way that we were contemptuous with one another over that issue. The word accept means to take oneself, to, to take to oneself, to receive kindly, to open your heart and your home to other people. To bring in, it literally, to accept means to bring into your circle of acquaintances. That's really concrete. He says, accept one another as Christ accepted you, to bring praise to God. This is a present imperative verb in the Greek, meaning it's a command to make it a continual characteristic of our lives. 
Have you thought about that? Like on purpose, accepting the one another's in the body who have differing convictions than you. And he's saying this in the context of Romans 14 about people with differing convictions on disputable matters. How will you make a move today to accept someone in the fellowship who differs on a disputable matter? How will you open up? How will you put off contempt and put on acceptance? Let's move to, to verse 4. Um, I was president of our, national, of our denomination nationally for a few years, uh, back in uh, a few years ago. Um, that was kind of cool. And, and when I completed my term, they honored me with this golden gavel as the president of our denomination. And when I was the president, it, when we had meetings, I was supposed to judge. I did have a gavel. It was kind of fun. Uh, like, people would express their opinions, and we would vote, and then I would go, so ordered. Whatever, I would judge what we had just decided by voice vote. So, number three, Paul says, put down the judgy gavel that's in your hand. <laughs> Romans 4, verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Put down the gavel, friends. <laughs> this one principle would dissolve so much conflict between Christians on disputable matters. And this is what I'm asking God to reshape in my heart this fall. If they're wrong, God will correct them. We're to stop acting like they answered to me. This doesn't mean I stop speaking my convictions or you stop speaking your convictions. But do it. Own your convictions positively in a way that is not tearing down others. Paul keeps expressing this in the passage. Own your convictions. But saying his convictions, he still embraces those who disagree as brothers and sisters and doesn't judge them. Would you hold up your pointy finger for a second in front of your nose? And now would you point it to somebody next to you or in the room? Or if you're home alone by yourself, Angie, you can point at me. And, and, and would you just say, um, hey, uh, wait, wait, what is it I want you to say? Um, you are not always right. Go ahead. Now point to somebody else because somebody else needs to hear that too. You are not always right. Well said. And Paul says, who are you to judge another's servant? Your Christian brother or sister who you're in disagreement with, they you're not responsible for their annual performance review. The Lord is. <laughs> That's his business. And he will correct them as he sees fit, or he will encourage them as he sees fit. And so put down the judgy gavel. I should welcome, accept, not get judgy, and be at peace with other believers, especially in my church or group, those who hold a different conviction than I regarding disputable matters. And if you and I are willing to separate over disputable Category 3 matters, it may mean we've placed that issue higher than it belongs in the prioritization in our thought, in our time, in our philosophy, in our discussion, and our faith. Could be blocking spiritual growth in your life relative to Categories 1 and 2. All right, final point, number four, and I wonder what this means for social media posts. Number four, in love, put the other's peace and growth ahead of my freedom, my freedom to hold my convictions and express my convictions. Verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of your conviction, what you do with it, what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Don't, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Jesus died. 
Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Edification means building up like building an edifice. And so is your post a constructor or a destructor regarding disputable matters regarding fellow Christians, followers of Christ? Um, our, our, our actions either strengthen or weaken the church. If you're a ministry partner here especially, your actions, they either strengthen or they weaken. Your posts, they either strengthen or they weaken our church, as I was reminded of two weeks ago. Do you post about such things in a way designed to goose the other side, beat them down with shame, contempt, or do you post in a way that's leading to peace and mutual edification, owning your conviction? Freedom is a great thing, Paul is saying, but love is better. And Paul is basically saying, if my... If my False God-blessed bacon is harmful to my brother, and they can't shake the feeling of it being wrong that I'm sitting across the table from them. Uh, I'll give up bacon that day rather than hurt them spiritually. That's love. That's love. Number five, check my tone and content in words, countenance, and posts to be consistent with righteousness, peace, and joy. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Just to be really specific, it's harder to say things kindly when we're behind a screen or on a phone. And the greatest offenses on social media, I think, happen not with an original post, but with intemperate replies in the moment, on the fly, while angry or offended. And so, friends, could I suggest, might I suggest, that you actually... Be religious about this and pray over every comment you are considering on social media about disputable matters. And actually pray about each comment before you post it. So he says, the kingdom of God here in verse 17 is not about eating and drinking. It's not about uniformity on category three, disputable matters. It's about peace and love and unity over categories one and two of the gospel. And those matters and that we should never divide over Category 3 disputable matters. But that's easier said than done because we're super passionate about these things. But church unity is more important than being recognized as right and feeling justified as right. The gospel is more important than uniformity of opinion on disputable matters. Can we be a church that our community desperately needs? They need a church that's more passionate about Jesus than we are our opinions on non-essential matters. That's why I rarely tell you about my opinions on such things from up here. It's not that I don't have them or that I wouldn't want to own them. It's that this church should be about how you, if you're new here, you can know the love and peace and eternity of God by trusting Jesus and following Jesus. It would be a sin, in my view, if someone stumbled over my politics or my opinions before getting to Jesus and stumbling over him. And let's join his mission of love to the world together. And so here's the final verse. Romans 14, 8. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Would you stand, please? And... I'd like to, for us to all pray together. This is a prayer of confession and a prayer of conviction. 
and intention for this fall as a church. And so let's put this prayer up on screen, and rather than me praying over you at the end of the sermon, let's pray this together in a reflective manner. Just be silent for a moment until it comes up. God, our Father, all together aloud, we confess that we fall short when we set ourselves up as judge and jury in our condemning of the ideas, opinions, and passions of our sisters and brothers. We blame too much in our disagreements. We offer grace too little. We say things that we should not say, words that tear down instead of building up, phrases that divide rather than unite. Forgive us, Lord, for being so quick to suspect the sin in others, yet so slow to hold ourselves accountable for our thoughts, words, and deeds. Impress upon us the need to answer only for ourselves before your throne while still upholding and praying for our brothers and sisters. Teach us as we follow you to live together in harmony, pointing to Jesus, even when we disagree about critical matters. Help us to pursue a life led by your Spirit, changed by your mercy and grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.